Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for James is going to tell the people where these fights come from, why, where, and what we ought to do about it. James 4 and 1. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? That's where it's at. That's where it comes from. That's the source of it all. Members. That means your flesh, your body. You are made up of three parts. You're made up of your body, your soul, which is your mind. And your spirit, which the Bible calls the inner man. Now, we're all sinners. We know that. And the sin is in the flesh. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit will indwell your inner man in your spirit. But even saved believers still have sinful desires that war in the body. Because it's in my flesh. That's why God goes in and seals the spirit and makes the spirit new. He does not make the body new. If he made the body new, I wouldn't be in this thing right here, I guarantee you. Okay? I would have something I'd have something else. <laughs> but it's in the it's in the members. He says that's where the problem is. It's in your members. It's in your flesh. That's the bad part of us. You know, when we leave, that's the part that stays here. That's the part we put in the ground and bury and cover it up in a hole is is the flesh part. James decides to let his readers know where the fight is coming from. When you catch yourself in a conflict with somebody, and you try to evaluate, am I contributing to this? The first thing you ought to do is know, be aware where the fight comes from. Because if you can identify that, that can help you determine what you need to do to bring about resolution. Now, the people that he's writing to have begun arguing and having conflicts. And so to tell them that the source of the problem is coming from their flesh, that would make them realize that they have been ignoring the guidance of the Holy Spirit that's in their indwelling inner being. They're treating the Holy Spirit like he's not even there. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever think of the Holy Spirit as a person? When I think of God, I think of this spiritual person kind of guy. When I think of Jesus, I think of Jesus. He was walking and doing all the things on the world. When I think of the Holy Spirit, usually I don't, I didn't have a, a, a perception like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person like you and I. He is a person. He has a personality. Just as much as Jesus, just as much as God. They're all three God. So we got to think of him as a person. we got to stop treating the Holy Spirit like he's not there. He's here, okay? He, he's the one that indwells you. Now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and they're both in he- heaven. The Father's in heaven. The Holy Spirit's the one we got, the one we're carrying. So we need to identify he's here. He is a person, and don't act like he's not around, because he is. And when we forget that he's around and he's not indwelling us, then we tend to get into these fights with people. And James says, this is where the fight comes from. It's coming from the flesh. You forgot you got that Holy Spirit in there. So James 4 and 2. 
You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Okay, this is a passage you'll never hear a prosperity preacher talk about. He'll never go into this one. If you ever do, get a recording of it, bring it to me, let me watch it, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Because they're not going to touch it. There's none of this name and claim everything you want for yourself kind of theology. They won't go here. All the fighting going on in this world out there is based on, I want that. That's what all the fights, all the wars, everything is based on, I want that. The correct way for a Christian to have their needs met is not by going to war to take it, but by going to God to ask for it. That's how Christians get what they need for their provision. Not taking, it's asking. Trying to take what you want is what drives all the lust, the murder, and the coveting. And even still, people like that can't get what they're after. People that think this way, they still never get what they want. That's what he says. You murder, you covet, and all this stuff, and you can't obtain. You fight in your war, and you're still not getting it. Basically, James is saying, look, your way doesn't work. So why don't you listen to mine? (laughs) I have good word for you, people. Try it this way. You already know yours doesn't work out. You fight in your war, and you still don't have. Why? Because you don't ask. You don't ask. Christians, believers, we need to change our thinking on how to acquire the things that we need. The world tells you to arise and go forth and conquer, but God says to kneel down and ask. That's totally backwards from what the world told you how to do it. And I think it's highly important that James tells why, uh, he tells why many people don't receive after they ask, because they ask to spend it on themselves. They want it for me. Christians are supposed to be thinking about everybody else first. Everybody else comes before you. Well, you're, remember, you've got to look out for number one. Well, who is number one? Jesus is number one. It's not you. The world tells you it's you. It ain't. It's Jesus Christ. And he said, serve one another. We need to change our thinking on how we acquire things. When people are told by these prosperity pastors that they can just ask for anything they want and they'll get it, then what happens is it causes people to ask wrongly. They don't receive what they ask for. And then it causes them to think that God is either not real or that God cannot provide. That's the bad end of prosperity preaching. This makes people fall from the faith to the point where they even hate it. You know know those people, I just name it and claim it, they're all excited. They will only be excited for a little while. You come visit them later, they're, they're, they're in a mess. They're gone. It happens all the time. It's a revolving door in the prosperity world. If you've been asking for something and you never got it, then it's not because God is not able to bring it. It's because you asked wrongly so that you could spend it on your own pleasure. Now, my nasal passages being stopped up for a couple years, I asked the Lord, please clear my nose. That wasn't something for me to, to spend on myself. It was so I could get good sleep, so I could do my ministry work better. It wasn't about me. It was, Lord, I, gotta, I need my nose back so I could breathe and have rest so I can do your work. And he gave it to me overnight. 
And here it is. Boom. I'm, I'm, I'm breathing right now. And he can do that for anything if you ask. But don't ask wrongly. If you're not receiving, maybe you're asking wrongly. Maybe that thing, that something you've been asking for, maybe God doesn't want you to have it. Maybe if you had it, it would not help you. It might corrupt you. And I know we have a way of justifying the things we ask for that we want, that we have some, we over-spiritualize why we think we need it. Like we're trying to convince God why, okay, God, here's why I need it. Let me explain it to you, God. Let me tell you why I need it, because obviously you don't get it. So here's why I need it. And then that's when we make up these reasons why we have to have it. And so we ask and we don't get it. Then we get mad at God because we don't have it. You're asking wrong. And most people are stuck in a selfish mode. You know, it's not our place to demand that God serve us. We are here to serve God, not the other way around. And most people are stuck in the selfish mode where they think God is supposed to give them everything they want. That's asking amiss. You're missing the mark. You know what the definition of sin is? It means miss the mark. When you go out, have you ever done archery? I did archery in school, and you go and you draw that arrow back and you shoot. I think I made a bullseye once through the whole <laughs> through the whole year. <laughs> Those of you laughing at me, I guess you're good at archery. I see Hank back there. But... That's what sin means. Miss the mark. You're just not good enough. It's just, you just can't do it every time. When we miss the mark, that's sin. That's asking a miss. That means you ask in sin. You missed. We got to ask with a dead bullseye shot. And that bullseye shot is, God, how does this glorify you? Not me. How can I spend it on you, God? Not me. Jesus said, search first the things of the kingdom, and then he'll give you everything else. That's easy. Getting all these other things is simple. The hard part is we don't want to do the kingdom first. So instead of expecting God to serve you, how have you been serving God with the things you have? Well, I don't know how in the world I can serve God with this thing. Then get rid of it. You don't need it. Are you gonna, how are you going to serve the Lord with it? What do you really want? Are you asking a mess? James 4 and 4, look at this. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, you remember how all this time in the book of James so far, James has been saying, brethren, my brethren, my brethren, my brothers and sisters. Now, what does he say? (laughs) Adulterers and adulteresses. What a switch, right? Why the switch, though? Why did he suddenly switch it around? Because friendship with the world is enmity with God. Enmity means hostile. It means opposed to. It means a feeling of hatred against. Most people say, oh, I don't hate God. Well, when you are selfish with things, yeah, it's it's enmity. When you try to run with the world and do things the world's way, that's enmity. That's enmity with God. That's being an enemy. Hostile. You know, your spouse, your spouse is bound to you in commitment. They're not supposed to be out playing around and giving themselves to other people. God is our spiritual husband. We have, I have a physical spouse, but God is our spiritual husband. And so when you try to be friends with the world, give yourself to the world. Hey, world, you can take me tonight. Hey, world, you can have me. I'll give myself to you willingly because I want to 
get close to you world, then that is adultery with God. God considers it adultery. You're supposed to give yourself to no one else but him and him alone. And here's why. James 4 and 5. Or do you think this or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Okay, that word jealous. I've seen super rich, super educated, very intelligent celebrity people on TV get tripped up over the fact that God has any jealousy in him at all. And they say, I cannot believe in this Bible because jealousy is bad. And if God's jealous, I I don't get it. Then I'm not following him. They don't understand why God would be jealous. So how can the spirit of God, how can God be jealous? Uh, I'm going to make an example out of my wife like I often do. Uh, (laughs) My wife, Anna, is mine. She belongs to me. And we committed to each other. No one else. If anyone besides me tries to draw her in, if somebody tries to seduce her, my righteous jealousy will flare up. And I have every right to it. Because she's mine. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And I'm entitled to righteous jealousy because she belongs to me. When we give ourselves to the world, the Spirit of God who dwells in us yearns, wants us, jealously. And you better be glad he wants you like that. Not just, okay, I'm glad to have you around. Just hang out and we'll, be, we'll, we'll hang out from time to time. That's not the way God sees you. He yearns for you. His love is so great for you. He yearns for you jealously. He wants nothing else to have you but him. That's God that made all things, thinks of you like that. Wow. And so James is dealing with worldly Christians, and so he puts them on the spot by asking them, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility to God, or do you seem to somehow think that the scriptures say for no reason at all that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Don't you know this, guys, is what he's asking. It's as if James is saying, don't you think scripture says this for a reason? There's a reason why it says this. God wants you. James is trying to get worldly Christians to consider how deep the intimate relationship that they have with God, that he has put way down into our spirit. He put his own spirit with our spirit. I often say it like this. Coffee and cream are two separate things, but once you mix them, they unify and become one thing. The Holy Spirit of God, He comes in and dwells us. That means you all mix together and you're like this. You're together. That's how close that He wants to be with us in our relationship. Intimate. Very deep. Nobody can ever get that close to you, ever. And so, put into us His own Spirit that it's not for no reason, but it's so that we can abide with Him, not in adultery with the world, but with Him, committed to Him, to the Lord God. In John 15, Jesus had called his disciples friends. Y'all remember that? He says, I call you friends now. You ever think of Jesus standing before you and telling you that, saying, hey, you're now my friend? Wow. I would just love to hear that. But you know what? We are. As believers, we're friends. But uh, he called them friends, though, after they finally learned to stop being friends with the world. You can't be friends with both. And when Jesus says, I call you friends now, that must mean, hey, we really switched, didn't we? We finally turned around. 
yours, you know, you can't play both sides. Your spouse can't have both you and other people. It's me and it's only me. That's the way it goes in this marriage relationship. If you want Jesus to call you friend, then you can't give yourself to the world because the Spirit yearns in us jealously. James 4 and 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, we had just gone over some tough content uh, concerning being hostile to God, friends with the world, and all that. So I'm sure it brought up a lot of questions. You know, bringing up that kind of tough stuff makes people wonder about a lot of things, and maybe even some confusion. And so I think James felt that this was a good place to drop a well-known verse that should be able to remove all the confusion and any unresolved questions by simply saying the clear truth that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That, that, that's a good way to end that tough stuff. He gives grace to the humble. Humble means you're down low. You're kneeling. But the proud, I'm up and I'm mighty and I'm all that. God, God won't have that. Now, he already told them where the fight comes from. It comes from the flesh. And it's like, if that's the way you are, you got a problem with God. He's going to resist you. You need to get rid of that. Get low. That's where the grace comes from. Wow, this is conflict resolution here, isn't it? Teaches us how to get ripe. And so, he resists those who have pride. Now, what does this mean, pride? When I hear the word pride, what kind of pride? Because there are times when we are proud of our family and friends. I'm, I'm proud of my grandson. He now knows how to walk. I'm proud of him. Uh, but what does he mean here when he says pride? What, what exactly does the Bible mean by pride? Pride means to glory in oneself. To glory in oneself. Glorying in yourself will cause you to brag, doesn't it? Man, look how awesome I am. I, I just built this ham radio station, and I contacted China or whatever. I mean, ain't I awesome? I know everything about radio. That's what you hear on the radio. Just giving you all a little insight to that. Now you're like, I'm never going to get my ham license now. But anyway, you get these guys that build these big, bad stations, and they just brag about how awesome. They're glorying in themselves. Or you get this big job promotion, and man, you're making all this money, and I've got this big house, and you start to glory in yourself rather than think, wait a minute, God gave me this? You're glorying yourself? That is pride. That is pride. It'll make you brag. It'll make you talk big about yourself to lift up the neck and to speak arrogantly, look what I have done. Guys, you haven't done anything. The only thing we did and did well was sin and blow the whole thing. That's the only thing we ever did completely. And totally, okay? That's the only thing we've ever done. So if you ever get down on yourself, I'm not good enough, well, you're not. You're not. Let's just go ahead and swallow that and get over it, okay? The thing to be happy about to lift our spirits back up is that Christ came and died for you anyway and offered you forgiveness and eternal life. Now be happy about that. But don't be down on yourself. If it's all based on you, you're going to be down on yourself. But if it's on Christ, you can pick your head up and go, I'm saved. And be happy, okay? So, pride, look what I have done. This kind of speech, it stirs up strife, and it provokes other people into battles. That's what he said. These arguments and battles, where are they coming from? They're coming from your flesh. Now, have you ever been around somebody that's always bragging about themselves, and they're always boasting about how awesome they are? Don't you know how irritating that is? Isn't it? That one guy at work or something that thinks he's better than everybody else, especially you? 
Well, what do you think it's like for unbelievers when they hear Christians talk like that? It's not good. It provokes people into conflict because eventually people don't want to hear it. And they want to come and shut you up. And then the fight is on. And when you have pride on both sides and it comes out of that sin side of the flesh, now you're in a fight with each other. And God opposes this. We're supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to be sowing peace. He resists the proud. Now, a good illustration of this is from a little story in Daniel 4. Oh, goody, we get to go to a different book for a little bit. Let's spice it up. (laughs) Y'all know about King Nebuchadnezzar? I can never spell that guy's name every time I try. Anyway, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king spoke, the king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that, what's that word? I, that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. You hear that pride just oozing out? Verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. What happened here? God opposed the proud. That's exactly what happened. He took it away from him. And if you read the story, King Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. He ended up out in the woods and he was eating grass and his nails and his hair got long. He's weird. It's just he went he went nuts. The king did not build that kingdom that he was bragging about. God did. God built all of that. And it was not for the king's honor. It was for God's honor. The king became a friend of the world when he valued what the world had shown him, what the world was for him. He became a friend of the world. That's when he became an an enmity, an enemy with God, and he had it taken away. It made him hostile. And so God opposed the king's pride and took it all away. Now, the good thing about this story, if you read it all the way through, is that the king was humbled by God's opposition, which caused him to say in 437, he went through a long process, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Now, that's a humbling story right there. But the good thing about it, it was a humbling and come back story that God restored him and God gave him the kingdom back again because he had a right mind about it. He wasn't friends with the world anymore. He became friends with God. And Nebuchadnezzar was a bad guy. He did a lot of bad things in the Bible. And he actually now gets to say this in Scripture. What a turnaround. And so if God can take away an entire kingdom from the most powerful king in the whole world, then he can surely oppose you and I for being prideful. If he can take all that away, he can take away what little bit you and I've got. Those who get mad at God and shake their fist at him for taking things away from him are those who never learn, are those who are not repentant, just like Nebuchadnezzar was. Nebuchadnezzar, though, he repented and he learned and he got it back. Now, believers need to learn how to make the big switch, the big switch from glorifying themselves, which is the pride that God resists, to glorifying the Lord. We need to learn to make a switch. What's the switch? It's 1 Corinthians one thirty-one. It is written. That means it's truth. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There's where you put your glorying. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.